Hey, hey, welcome to the program. Sam Rajofsky here, live and local in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. Okay, 37% of Democrats want Biden to run in 24. 37% only. Oof, that is a devastatingly low number, my friends. I'll explain what that means here. You're listening to The What's Right Show. And yes, new time, same place. Today is our first day of being here uh, on at 1 p.m. We'll be on from 1 to 3, Monday through Friday, right here on News Talk 840 KXNT. Grateful to be with you, friends. I'll tell you, I'll fill you in a little bit on who I am and what it is that I do. I've been on for a while from 2 to 3, so I just got an extra hour here and looking forward to being on with you here for a little longer every day. Should be fun. (laughs) Now, speaking of what's not fun, this is, when you have this low of an approval rating in your own party as an incumbent who intends, because we're told Biden is, I guess, uh, means to run in 2024. He's all but decided. Dr. Jill Biden, first lady being, uh, of course, one of his most vocal advocates and uh, proponents of him uh, running a second time, we know he wants to do it. Now the question is, how does he get this done? Now Biden's gonna, Biden's 80, okay? And his support is dropping. And his support was a little over 50% the last time they did this uh, poll or poll this significant. Uh, that occurred just before the midterms. So you can see the extent to which the midterms and the events since the midterms have eroded support uh, for Joe. It's, 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 this is, by the way, ABC came out with a separate poll uh, that said 62% of Americans think he's done little or nothing. <laughs> well, well, I mean, right. Well, it's, of course, uh, the problem is those of us in the know uh, recognize that the stuff he has done has proven disastrous. And that, of course, we'll get into the balloon. Well, big news on the Chinese balloon. Got blown up over the Atlantic Ocean uh, probably days later than it ought to have been. Uh, there's a massive spin effort underway. We'll get into that in a moment. But um, one thing I do want to say, too, is on Saturday... You would have missed it for all the other stuff going on. The Democratic Party voted to change the order of its presidential primary calendar for 24. Did you see this? By the way, we here, we in Nevada got a little boost. Um, Yeah, well, we got moved up. We're going to share the number two slot with New Hampshire. So we're going to be the number two, number three, whichever you want to put it, the second primary dates on the Democratic Party uh, calendar. Uh, But the first one goes to South Carolina. And what nobody's getting into right here is explaining why they're doing this. This rule change uh, promulgated by the Rules and Bylaws Committee of the Democratic Party. They met for three days in Philadelphia. Democrats uh, in that Rules and Bylaws Committee decided on Saturday voted uh, to make these changes, uh, this was a proposal pushed by Biden himself uh, 
Uh, remember, of course, let's go back a little ways to some not-so-distant history, 2020, if you'll recall. By the time the Democratic primaries got to uh, well, South Carolina on February 29th, Biden was declared politically dead. Remember this? Biden was on life support, but probably literally and both uh, also politically. In Iowa, he got trounced by Bernie Sanders. New Hampshire, he got trounced by Bernie. Nevada, Nevada, that was another disaster. Remember, Nevada caucuses went 40% for Bernie on February 22nd, back in the lead up to the 2020 election. 19% only for Joe. So he's limping through. He was the presumed frontrunner. And it wasn't until South Carolina that, that, that Biden really kind of turned the tables because, uh, well, yeah, 49% of the vote to, to Bernie's 20%. And from then, it went on to Super Tuesday and the rest is history. Now, I, I draw your attention to this because it matters. It's relevant. And the issue, of course, is that, <clears throat> well, uh, Biden realizes he is very vulnerable and particularly, I think, with this low of an approval number within his own party, recognizes that he is, he could be wounded by a significant primary challenge. Now, who that would be, we already know that the big dogs, right? Bernie Sanders and our friend here uh, to the West, uh, governor of California, you know, they're not going to run. They've said this on the record. Well, they said, we would only run if, if Biden steps out. I can't believe, by the way, side note, can't believe Bernie is still considering running. But nonetheless, you know, noise has been made. But Gavin Newsom in California said, look, I'm not going to run if, 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 if Biden's in it. I'm only going to run if it's an open, uh, an open primary uh, with no incumbent. But there might be others. And, uh, and certainly if you were an energetic, young, up-and-coming Democrat looking at a 37% approval rating for your incumbent president, you might think this is an opportunity. And as such, Biden needs to shore up support. So anyway, back to the primary and why, the, why this calendar has been rearranged. Biden recognizes he has advantage in South Carolina, and he wants to put that primary first to sort of clear the field uh, before even any, any, uh, any votes are cast, clear the field of any uh, potential challengers. Remember, of course, it was in South Carolina, Jim Clyburn, who is the, well, he's a, a, a longstanding uh, congressman, uh, an African-American guy, and he, uh, he got up there and uh, he gave, a, he gave a, a, a full-throated endorsement of Biden back in 2020 and credited, of course, with, with reviving and in many ways probably saving uh, Biden's uh, candidacy then. So no doubt, no doubt that would be a, a what a repeat performance Biden would be expecting, and by making it the first primary, not the let's see, one, two, three, fourth primary, almost a month later than the first primaries. It, there's a reason for this, and that's what you get here on this program. I always like to give you the reasons behind all this stuff, so you understand why things are happening. Now. Speaking of why things are happening, this balloon 
I hope you're as troubled by this as I am. The idea that the Chicoms can send into our sovereign airspace a giant spy balloon and that our folks over at the Department of Defense, National Security, are scratching their heads going, what the hell are we doing with this thing? This, this frightens me. I mean, I, I kind of got to assume it frightens you too. Now, what I, I guess what frightens me the most are the explanations proffered by the people that are tasked with, tasked with our safety, trusted with our safety and national security. Okay, so they're saying this is a balloon. It's no big deal. You know, we had, by the way, I love this one. Trump, did you see this from the Department of Defense? I have this in my stack here. Ah, oh, where was this? They're, they're actually claiming that the, the, these balloons, the three of them, had violated U.S. airspace under Trump and that nothing was said about it. Friends, do you for a moment, humor me here, do you for a moment believe <laughs> that, that the CHICOM sent balloons over the U.S. between 2016 and 2020 when Trump was president and that A, Trump didn't do anything about it, but B, most importantly, that no one in the media, no one within the swamp, no one within the Department of Defense, all those security services, the CIA, who were all such big fans of Donaldus Maximus. That's a joke, by the way. That's a joke. They were not big fans of Trump, so they would be the first ones to leak that story had this occurred. Can you imagine it right now? I am picturing it. I can hear the story. Multiple sources at the Department of Defense, at the Pentagon, at the CIA confirm the Chinese have sent multiple balloons, spy balloons, over the country. And President Trump ignored it because he was playing golf. That would have been the, that would have been the story. Meanwhile, this happens to Biden. He sits there, doesn't know what to do, scratching himself while, you know, these, this balloon is you know, hoovering up all sorts of important information about our nuclear installations. And we have the same media, same establishment machine that was so, uh, well, critical, we'll say it's very least, critical of Donald Trump now in overdrive trying to make excuses for this. Um, we're going to have to take a quick break. I'll explain, by the way, why this balloon, What, what what's up with this balloon, because... I know a lot of you are emailing me over the weekend trying to touch base on this. You're saying, look, Sam, this is a balloon. This is not a big deal. This is not a spy satellite. This is low tech. I'm going to tell you, this low tech thing actually is more dangerous in a lot of ways, more threatening in a lot of a lot of ways than some of this high tech equipment. I'll explain when we get to that. Also, the, the devastating uh, earthquake in, in Turkey and Syria. Give you some perspective on that, how significant this was on um, on a scale of damage uh, and strength. So I'll get to all that. You're listening to The What's Right Show here on News Talk 840 KXNT. I'll be back in just a moment. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com.
All right, greetings, friends, and welcome back to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajovsky here, your host, coming to you loud and clear from our studios in an undisclosed location in beautiful downtown Las Vegas. Oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to the balloon. I, I just, I've got to share, I, the, the, I cannot, friends, overstate how significant how significant this polling brought by the Associated Press and the NORC Center for Public Affairs showing Biden with 37% of support among Democrats, his own party wanting him to run a second time. Putting it another way, the rest say, no, we don't want him to run. So you've got 63% of Democrats saying, give us another option, Joe. Sit down, take a nap. You know, ride your bike, Martha's Vineyard, whatever it takes. You know, just go somewhere and don't be president. We need fresh blood. The uh, media, uh, mainstream folks, they are going into absolute overdrive trying to explain this away. Uh, You know, for example, give you an idea why this is so – Jonathan Carl from ABC, he is so flummoxed by this poll. He he is – he asks panelists how this, this is on Sunday, this is yesterday. Is, he's asking his panelists, how could this even be true? How does any of this make sense? Look at Democratic voters. Right. Democratic voters, only 31% in our poll want Biden to run again. 58% want someone else. Now look at the flip side, Republican voters. And you see, see regarding Donald Trump, 44% want him to run again. 40, I mean, much closer. What, what, how is it that at this point we're at a situation where Republicans are more enthusiastic about a Trump rerun than they are a Biden? The libs don't get it. They don't understand why Trump has a following and why Biden doesn't. Also, side note, no one in 2016 was excited about Biden. If you, friends, I occasionally uh, mingle with Democrats, I don't want to alarm you, but it happens. I even count some of them as my dearest friends. Ah, oh, where do I begin? I, none of them, not one at any point in time were telling me, Sam, but this Biden guy, I really like him. They were all united in an overwhelming antipathy uh, for Trump. I mean, they did not like Trump. I'm being nice, right? I mean, they were apoplectic over Trump. I mean, Trump, they, they, you'd, you'd mention Trump, and it would be like salting a snail. Yeah, you know, not that I've ever done that, but I, as I understand it, the snail will, you know, begin to froth. But they, so they weren't excited. They, they hated Trump, but they certainly were never, ever, ever excited about Biden. Biden was, the enthusiasm gap there was huge. And that is part of the reasons why so many conservatives are perplexed and remain perplexed about the outcome of the 2020 election. Although I have explanations other than election fraud to proffer, and we've gone over that here at length on the program. But nonetheless, Don Lemon, in between his serial sessions of berating his co-host and others in his studio, uh, also... Uh, wanted to explain away this bad news for the president. Is this a disconnect between the people and the party leaders? Because if you look at what happened with Biden, you know, what his, when he made the speech and he went to the convention or whatever, people love him. 
The people <laughs> on the street love him, but the people in the party are like, eh, I'm not so sure. So what, is this real? There's so many different things about Biden that people, like my mom, who is the sort of, you know, church lady every Sunday, votes, rain, sleet, snow or shine. She loves Biden. <sighs> this is why no one watches CNN. Don Lemon is insane. Okay, his mom, she votes, you know, in the rain and the snow, just like the U.S. Postal Service. Uh, her votes always go through. Probably multiple of her votes go through, but that's just a snide side note on my part. Listen, uh, <clears throat> he's totally wrong. And, and, and you would, by the way, you have to be in some serious echo chamber bubble to think that there was enthusiasm at any point for Biden. Now, I definitely will give him, I, he didn't say this, but, he, you know, Biden was, people were tired of the tweeting and they were tired of the rancor. And Biden was this, perceived to be this kind of safe, decent fellow who actually turned out to be quite uh, mean-spirited as we've gotten to know him. Angry Biden, we know this by, what do we call him? Dark, dark Brandon. <laughs> so, look, I, this, is, this is insane. But you see they are trying, they're frantic about this, the establishment folks. And by the way, this is not because they like Biden. Let me explain this to you. Very important. They do not love Biden, but they like Team Biden. So what, what, what ABC and CNN and all the, you know, the mainstream fools have in common is they, they like the power behind Biden. See, Biden's letting all the, the usual suspects in the establishment run the show. And as a consequence, these are, these are people that, uh, you know, when you're in the newsrooms in Manhattan and all the channels, you're in the newsrooms in, in Washington, D.C., uh, these uh, power players that have been put back into positions of trust and authority by Biden are now uh, back in, you know, they're, 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 these reporters are very comfortable with these people because these are their pals. This is their network. These are their people. Now, what has to be said here is that those are not our people. And so, yes, Lemon is right here. There is a disconnect between the people and the party leaders. No crap. You don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to figure this out. The disconnect is that the party leaders want establishment types running the country. The people... Even the Democrats have had enough of that. So this, by the way, leads into why I wanted to come back to this. This leads into the balloon story. Because I'm sick and tired, as are you, of being told what to think and what the scoop is. The Department of Defense talking points on this are ludicrous. This balloon went into our airspace January 28th. Biden was napping all the way through this weekend when we finally shot the damn thing down. I don't know about you, but... I would think this is somewhat alarming. So I'll explain what this all means. And again, I'll get to the point about why this balloon is dangerous and cannot be underestimated. Right, Sam, it's just a balloon. It's just a balloon. No, it's not. Gosh, dang it, it's not. All right, that's the music. I got to run. News up next. I'll be back in a few minutes. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The What's Right Show here on News Talk 840 KXNT. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit salmonashlaw.com.
Welcome back to the program. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here, your host. Uh, Yes, I am here now, 1 to 3 p.m. I've been here for quite a while now, 2 to 3, but uh, 1 to 3 starting today, the 6th of February. So today is my, kind of feels like a first day of school. A little bit. No, I mean... I used to have, by the way, a little bit of of history and and, uh, info about me. So, of course, I am the Sam of Sam and Ash Injury Law. I'm one of the maybe only conservative injury lawyers here in Las Vegas. So I'm I'm an attorney. I have a a business here in town. I started it together with my partner, Ash, here in beautiful Las Vegas. Moved here from California. I call myself, as a consequence, Nevada's favorite recovering ex-Californian because – Friends, let me tell you, recovering from California is a lifelong process, and I am well, I'm on the path to betterment. I'll leave it at that. So love Las Vegas, love being here, love doing the show live and local, Monday through Friday, and grateful to have a second hour. Uh, particular thanks to everyone at KXNT and Odyssey, uh, Mark Bonilla, uh, Dan Kearney, and everybody there at the station has been absolute nothing. Uh, has nothing been great to me. So grateful to all of you for making this happen. And here we go. Let's roll. Now, the balloon. You heard about this balloon. The balloon from China. They call President Xi Pooh Bear. You heard this. It kind of looks like Winnie the Pooh. That's what I'm saying. Winnie the Pooh. I love Winnie the Pooh, so I hate to... I hate to malign little poo with uh, with someone as horrendous as President Xi. Nonetheless, others have made this comparison, so I'm just passing this along to you. <laughs> so, so I'm thinking of this sort of as like as Pooh Bear's wild ride. You know, I'm picturing President Xi as Winnie the Pooh holding onto this balloon floating across North America. Uh, we were, according to the sources, right, and you have to take all this with a grain of salt, on the 28th of January is when we first became aware of the Chicom balloon making its way into our um, our airspace and 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 what I understand this is from official Department of Defense news. What they are saying is that while this was first detected on January 28th, as the balloon traversed Alaska, Canada, and then re-entered U.S. airspace over Idaho found out that President Biden asked the military to present options on Wednesday. So, figuring out these dates here, right? The 28th was what? Saturday. And Wednesday, Wednesday was the first. And then we didn't shoot the damn thing down until what? Saturday again. I'm just, look, I'm just pointing out what I was find it perplexing because here's the thing the balloon people are saying well it's very low tech there's a reason why these balloons actually are of of greater intelligence value than a satellite and that's because they can be closer to the surface of the earth and consequently can take a better photographs so the camera equipment on board the uh, on board the the payload of the balloon can uh, definitely hoover up more information can actually even imitate cell phone signals can get in and basically this balloon can get everything else right that tiktok hasn't already sucked up 
It's like this this balloon is working in concert with TikTok to basically uh, get all the information on us here in the U.S. Now, the spin, the spin is what gets me, right? So by any measure, if the story were, if Trump were president, and the story were that we had a hostile flying object enter our airspace on a Saturday, and Biden wasn't getting presented with options until, or Trump, excuse me, wasn't getting presented with options until, but five days later, four days later, let me tell you, this would be the number one lead news story on MSNBC, CNN, etc. There is simply no doubt in my mind. And as a, well, as a consequence, right now, the shoe is on the other foot. They've got their guy, Uncle Joe Biden, in the White House, and they're, they're, they're covering for him. The media, Department of Defense, all the insiders. So I'm... Okay, so I'm just saying this is, a, this is an important point, right? They are, they are they're covering for him. Now, the, the balloon, right, the, the fact that it is able to be close to closer, 60,000 feet, 70,000 feet, 50,000 feet, closer to the surface of the Earth means it really can get a lot more data and a higher quality of data than even a satellite, which is why these spy balloons are used. And it's... Uh, it's not – look, one of the ways that they're covering friends, they, again, talking about the insiders over at the Department of Defense and the intelligence agencies. One of, one of the ways that they're covering for the – well, you know what? We allowed the balloon to cross over the – excuse me, to cross over the U.S. so as to figure out what it's doing. Now, they actually said this. You know, they said we're, uh, you know, we, 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 abs- we were able to, what is it here? Yeah. They said, uh, yeah, this is, was, this was a, a benefit to our security to understand how this balloon was behaving. Um, presumably, friends, as this balloon, as this equipment is passing over the U.S., passing over our sensitive nuclear sites, presumably it is beaming all this up to overhead satellites and transmitting sensitive information to the Chinese in real time. I don't understand how allowing the balloon to maintain its course only to subsequently pop it out of the sky once it's you know safely over the ocean, how that has done anything uh, for the benefit of our national security. I, I think what we have in here is we had, it, we had a, an inability to make a decision on the part of the president. You can just imagine him being in there. I don't know what to do. And then people in his ear, well, you need to do this, Mr. President. You need to do that. Trump would have shot – Trump, the balloon – the Chicoms would never have sent the gosh dang balloon over here in the first place, which, by the way, makes the other part of the story where they're unnamed sources in the establishment saying that three of these balloons had already gone over the U.S. when Trump was president. He didn't do anything. Seemed to me like a load of crap. I, I don't think that the Chinese would have dared to antagonize Trump in this way. It would have been – they would have known it would have met uh, with some unpredictable results, something the Chinese were not willing not willing to test. But they are willing, friends. They are absolutely willing to test this weak president that we have, and that's what this is. 
And by not shooting it down the minute it hit our airspace, we already capitulated. We already gave up. And that is the part of this that, oh my gosh, if you could see me right now, I'm getting a little red in the face. I am absolutely despondent over how we've handled this. Now, the propaganda machine has made much ado about the Raptor, the F-22 that shot uh, the plane down. They've even released the exact moment that the balloon was successfully felled by an F-22. Here is, by the way, here's that audio, just so you can hear us feel a little patriotic that we were finally able to, after it crossed the entire U.S., Canada, and Alaska, the balloon, put it in the ocean where we hope to find it. Here's the audio. Break one. Last one. T-O-I-1. That is a kill. The balloon is completely destroyed. Okay, they got the balloon. The balloon fell approximately six miles off the coast of South Carolina. It's in about 47 feet of water. And the Navy wasn't even there to go and get it. I mean, I would think that the ships would all be per- like perfectly lined up and-, and ready to like be on scene. What are the chances now that the Chinese recovered this? Again, if you had popped the balloon over less crowded space above, I don't know, the continental U.S., lots of open spaces where this uh, traversed the country. I, I mean, there, there, there are other options is what I'm getting at. So, now here's what they're saying more. Long before the shootdown, U.S. officials took steps to protect against the balloon's collection of sensitive information, mitigating its intelligence value to the Chinese. How? What? This thing passed over our some of our most secure sites where we keep our nuclear defense weaponry. I mean, they what do they do? Like paint a paint a funny face on our missile silos, put up a paper mache fake installation. I this is this to me is such propaganda. Oh, everything was under control. We actually, we actually used this. Oh, and by the way, we used it against the Chinese, and now we're writing about it. Now we're telling you about it. And th- th- again, this is citing direct sources from the Department of Defense. So this, look, this is yet another mess. It's embarrassing. This president has to go. Uh, and I'll remind you, while you know I am able to be critical of Donald Trump, One of the great things about Trump vis-a-vis national security was that he was unpredictable. All the things that the left criticized Trump for, notably that he was a loose cannon, that he, you know, was impetuous, didn't listen to advice from the learned senior fellows within the halls of government. All of that, right, was something that kept our enemies guessing. And when it comes to any kind of a a confrontation with a powerful enemy, the best thing you can do is make your actions unpredictable. When your president, commander-in-chief, is unpredictable, it is actually a fabulous thing. The Chinese were left scratching their heads. What was Trump all about? What would he do? But they feared just enough the idea that he would come in and, well, that he, he would do something radical. And Pooh Bear, President Xi, did not want to test that at any point in time. Trust me on this. He didn't want to touch that one bit. All right, I'll get into the uh, Syrian-Turkish earthquake here. Tragic. Uh, we have an updated body count. Explain to you what this 
magnitude means and how big this is and why this is a cautionary tale uh, for us in the U.S. here. Uh, doing Get into that, and then when we come back after the hour, we're going to get back here into Nevada a little bit. The 82nd session kicked off today. Our legislators are meeting. My comment on that is heaven help us. All right, you're listening to The What's Right Show here on News Talk 840 KXNT. Sam Rachofsky here. I'll be back in just a moment. All right, friends, welcome back. You're listening to The What's Right Show. That's right, The What's Right Show. And we'll be on 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock here, Monday through Friday, starting today. Uh, So get ready. There's more of the Sam where... um, I guess coming coming at you for the next foreseeable future. Uh, I'm I'm happy to be here with you. I uh, again I think I alluded to this I, a little bit about what I do. I'm a uh, attorney here in town. Uh, started a firm uh, called Sam and Ash Injury Law, uh, together with my partner Ashley. Moved here from California to begin that uh, enterprise, and it's been going well. Happy to be in Nevada. But I I well maybe next hour if 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 you have a moment or permit me I, I'll, I'll share a little bit with you since I might be talking to some of you for the first time uh, why it is that I'm a conservative and why I do what I do why I love being on the radio I had a show in LA for a number of years uh, did uh, evenings on a major station down there and when I moved to Nevada I had an opportunity to be back on air here locally and I took it because I absolutely adore it. So I may may get into that a little bit next hour, uh, time permitting. There's still a lot to go over. I want to touch on this horrendous earthquake uh, that we've learned about overnight. Uh, Turkey, Syria, uh, both affected the epicenter somewhere near outside, about 20 miles outside of Nerdagi, Turkey, which is a province, provincial area in, in Turkey. But there's a, quite a bit of uh, enormous amount of damage. There are some some fairly densely populated towns and cities that were been affected. This is a this was a seven point eight magnitudes earthquake on a Richter scale. And minutes after it struck, there was a, a an aftershock of seven point five. So one thing to remember too is the Richter scale is logarithmic. So that means that every whole number jump indicates a tenfold increase. So a, right, so a seven uh, magnitude earthquake, a seven magnitude earthquake is 10 times more severe than a six on the Richter scale. We're, um, I just got an update here from the uh, Washington Post uh, saying there's about 5,000 people suspected dead and that number I expect will grow. Absolutely tragic. I give you a perspective here how significant the earthquake was. Uh, you remember the Northridge quake in California, 1994? I was living in Orange County at the time and was only 14. But I remember it. It woke me up all the way down in, in Irvine, where I was living. And I understand uh, some of you felt that earthquake even out here, although it wasn't uh, too significant. That earthquake that killed people in California, 6.7. So this, this earthquake was just over 10 times more powerful. 
10 times more powerful than the Northridge quake. That, you know, that's something you can, you can tell, you know, this just is absolutely astounding. Now, one thing that we have to be aware of and why it's, you know, listen, uh, there are, when it comes to Richter scale and orders of magnitude increases power of these tremors, they don't always directly co- uh, coincide or, or, or translate into damage and into fatalities and injuries. And one of the great things that we need to bear in mind is affluence in society. Affluence in society builds in protection for life. There is so much criticism that we hear day in and day out from the left about how capitalism has a disregard for human life, right? It is a common refrain. And yet, when you look at... uh, when you look at what the price of life is in countries where maybe capitalism is not practiced as effectively as it is here, you realize that places like California versus Turkey, you have so many more. Uh, well, first off, the built homes are built and buildings are built in a completely different way far more structurally sound because there is a means by which to finance that, to make that happen. Simultaneously, you also have more rescue equipment. This is, uh, by the way, from Thomas Sowell wrote about this. In his book, Barbarians Inside the Gates, he, he, he talked exactly about this, how wealth is one of the greatest savers of lives. And earthquakes is just one example of it. You look at third world countries where they practice kleptocracy and tribalism, you know, and, and, and you know, Turkey, listen, on its face is a capitalist country. This is not really a capitalist country. And then you look at a country like the U.S., you look at Japan, where high magnitude, strong, powerful earthquakes are par for the course, right? They, they, they happen. And yet, the enormous wealth created by the Japanese economy, free economy, capitalist economy, creates safety nets. And the reality is, is that once a society you know, creates this kind of financial wealth, the wealth that we support as conservatives, we don't just support it, by the way, we rejoice in it. We, we, are, we encourage it. We want the freedom to create this wealth, but there's something very important that this wealth creates. It's in that's and it creates its intended beneficiaries, which is all of us. We get to live in a place that values life more, and that is what I think uh, creates an enormous divide, an enormous separation between conservatives and I would say right leaning. Uh, opinions and people and 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 our friends on the left, because we we understand that the the value of what our free market and our our thriving economy creates. And remember, every time that they want to clip our wings and cut down this wealth and take it away and reduce it, it's an attack precisely on all of those who benefit from it. And that's not just the one percent at the top, which is how it is in Turkey, right? 
pretty certain that the president's home stood standing. All the wealthy people were okay. It was the poor people in the slums whose homes collapsed. All right, I got to go. We're going to take a quick break here and back for a second hour. I love the sound of that. Back for a second hour. I'll get into what the state legislature is doing. I'll get into also, oh, Hunter Biden is an artist. Did you hear this? The next uh, Da Vinci. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT, back after this. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. All right, friends, listen up. Uh, Today in Carson City, the legislators are all gathering to find ways to screw our lives up. That's right. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian, and you're listening to The What's Right Show. This normally would be our first hour. Today it is our second hour, and that is because uh, the show now begins at 1. So if that's news to you and you um, like listening to this program, as many of you do, continually hear from you how much you enjoy Uh, my commentary here. So listen, uh, now you get two hours of it and uh, gird yourselves. (laughs) So what are we going to make of the session? By the way, the timeline, roughly. Remember, we are a part-time legislature, which I love. I love this. We need to resist any and all calls here in Nevada to have a full-time legislature. Uh, The favorite thing for Democrats is to make these positions full-time. There are two reasons why I do not want a full-time legislature, and they are as follows. Number one, most importantly, the less time politicians are working, the better off we the people are. There's, I mean, I could show you a statistical correlation between states that are, quote-unquote, better for business, better for people, freer, etc., and show you that those states tend to have legislators that are part-time. So there's that. The second thing is I like the idea of having uh, folks in the legislature that have a full-time real job. They work somewhere in the real world. They have to pay their bills. The, the Government ought not to be your, your career. And I understand there's a handful of positions in our government that require a full-time person. For example, governor, obviously. The treasurer, that's a full-time gig. You know, there, there's some full-time jobs here, but not, not the legislature. So we, the legislation, legislative session here in Nevada happens once every two years. Uh, we had an extra one because of COVID. So the governor called in the legislature for an emergency session where they proceeded to screw us in every imaginable way, not just with the COVID. If you remember, this is where all the voting, the free ballots for everybody got voted in. Democrats using the emergency of COVID were able to get their absolute dream of dreams, and that is ballots sent to every person, ballots everywhere, in the mail, and then, uh, of course, we're able to do a massive ballot harvesting uh, effort, and that uh, has been the bane of our ex- existence here in Nevada ever since. So the, the session starts today. 
March 27th, the end of March, is the last day for bill introductions. Then you have uh, April 25th is uh, first House passage, then their second House passage, May, May 26th, and the end of session is in June. So between today, February 6th, and June, I will here try to do my best to keep you up to speed on what's cooking up in northern Nevada in our capital. Now, I'll keep my eye, of course, at the same time on everything going on nationally. And those of you I know follow the podcast, What's Right Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the Odyssey app. Some of you are from out of state, and I don't want you to get too bored by some inside Nevada baseball. You'll maybe learn something about Nevada you didn't know. Uh, If you're in California, for example, you have a full-time legislature, and those fools are up there 24-7 wrecking your lives. So, so if you don't like it, um, I don't know what, what words of wisdom I have for you. Uh, there's two things you can do. You can stay and fight. Or you can do what I did and emigrate. So I'll tell you, that's, that's the scoop. One of the things to watch here, a bill that has already been proffered up, is uh, to allow for the DMV to issue free licenses, free IDs to any interested party. So the idea would be that there would be a waiver that you sign. You basically claim you don't have enough money to pay for the fees to issue an ID, and you get a free ID from the DMV. I can see the advertisement now, perhaps a jingle. Get your free ID from the DMV, right? That would be the jingle. And, of course, the purpose behind this would be to get around – uh, any legislation that might seem like a poll tax. You can't have a poll tax. It's been ruled unconstitutional. Of course, we conservatives, we Republicans, we are leery of the idea that somebody can just show up and say, I should vote. And no, I do not have to show any ID. But the ACLU folks on the other side go, well, you can't charge for an ID. Can't do that. No bueno. And so, as a consequence... As a consequence, uh, there are there is this effort now underway, correctly, to encourage, uh, well, to make it a matter of law that the DMV issue free ID to anybody that applies. Now, I want to watch this bill and pr- see how it progresses because I have a, I have a uh, prognostication to make here. Suddenly. Magically, as if by divine intervention, the <laughs> I can't even say this is straight face. The Democrats, the libs, the folks that love giving away free stuff to everyone, will suddenly be very opposed to handing out free stuff. It's going to be magical. Exactly. The, the freebie people are going to say, no, 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 we want freebies for everything, but just not this freebie. And it will be the tell. That's the tell. <laughs> it's the it, because they know, they know that then it is harder to challenge an ID law if the IDs are free, if they're easy to get. If you can walk into any DMV and walk out with an ID, there it is. You don't have a poll tax problem. You don't, you, you have fewer legal impediments to passing ID requirements at a later date. This is the groundwork for it, right? So I'm just telling you, 
you'll you'll hear news of this. You'll see stories in the in the media about it, and you'll go, ah, Sam told us about this. I, by virtue of listening to the What's Right show, am at the cutting edge of political information, which is, of course, my objective. That's why I roll my sleeves up every day here and get behind the What's Right show microphone in my beautiful downtown Las Vegas studio to tell you information that you can use. Now there's, well, I'll scout in some national news here. I, I'm going to have to take a break, but I, before I, I do, I want to get this story started and in your head so you're thinking about it during the break. Because, you know, the, the uh, full-time congressmen and women that we have working at the Capitol, uh, they are going to heat up their probe into Hunter Biden and the Biden family business. Now, this is, this is going to be uh, very important stuff because, as I've long told you, the, uh, the, the real story here with, with Hunter Biden is not that the man is such a cracked-out idiot that he takes pictures of himself naked with prostitutes, handguns, and drug paraphernalia. That, friends, is not the story. Although, of course, our prurient interests might be tickled by this. It is not the substantive real deal. The issue is that Hunter Biden, in some way it seems, based on the information discovered on his beautiful and very well-preserved MacBook Pro, left behind in a repair shop that later, let's say, fell into the hands of some Republican Party operatives, that the FBI poo-pooed for, uh, what, months and months? It was Russian disinformation, quote-unquote. That the New York Post was censored over. That laptop shows that there were some very significant business dealings with millions and millions and millions of dollars being funneled to the Biden family. And Hunter was some sort of a nexus in this arrangement, in this deal. Oh, Look, if that doesn't trouble you, then you're, you're too partisan for words, right? Imagine for a minute that the same thing were on the foot of a, um, who, some, one, of, one of Trump's kids. If Ivanka, if it was discovered that her laptop was dropped off somewhere and on it, forget, you know, sleazy pictures and whatnot, but was evidence that she was helping funnel millions of dollars to her dad, You know, little pay-to-play schemes, people wanting to get access to Donaldus Maximus. Of course, the access here was uh, when, when Biden was vice president. But the play, you know, pay-to-play scheme, of course, is significant. It's a big deal. If Obviously, if this was, uh, had been the news about Trump's kid, we wouldn't have heard the end of it, and, uh, and, and everybody would already be in jail. But we have the FBI here uh, working on behalf of the Team Biden folks, and so, consequently, no one's in jail. So i got to take a quick break here. I want to explain that to you. I'm setting it all up because against this backdrop, we have some very important news, and that is that, well, folks, I don't know how else to put it, but Hunter Biden apparently is a real artistic talent. I'm going to have to tell you about this. 
When we come back, don't go anywhere. Hold on to your hats and glasses for this here. It's the wildest ride in the wilderness. Sam Rajofsky, Nevada's favorite recovering California News Talk 840 KXNT, back after this. All right, welcome back. You're listening to the What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law, 702 Sam and Ash, because you deserve lawyers that share your values. Sam Rajofsky here, your host of the What's Right Show, proud Nevadan convert, truth teller, and voice of reason, here on News Talk 840 KXNT, Monday through Friday, 1 to 3 p.m. 1 to 3, that's right, that's our new time. Um, And I... Very happy for this. It's nice to have a little bit more time. Now, before we get to, well, let's just get to Hunter now. I, yeah, I teased it right before the break, and I, I get criticisms from you folks when I, when I uh, don't get right to what I promised to get right to. So first off, let me tell you a couple of things about me and art. I love art. I collect art. I have good taste when it comes to art, and as a matter of fact, some have even said that I have some artistic talent. Clearly, I need to get my dad to be president. I need to pick up uh, some brushes, grab an easel, and immediately get to it because my day job here at Sam and Ash Injury Law is not paying me $500,000 a painting. Well, a job, let's say. That's right. Now, these prices, that was the original listing value. Now they seem to be ranging from about 225000 all the way down to 55000 So, again, let me be clear about something. I understand art. I understand art collecting. I will tell you, it is extremely unusual that a brand new artist on the scene suddenly commands a quarter million dollars for his art. It don't happen this way, friends. So the reason that this is news, of course, is... Okay, I mean, he's a novice artist. These prices are exorbitant. The reason it's in the news is because, of course, the House Republicans are looking at this, going, wait a minute. We want to know who's paying for this artwork because this could be literally the best possible way to launder money to the Biden family. Yeah, Hunter Biden, the crackhead, goes and scribbles on a canvas. He splashes around some paint. He has his gallerist friend say, this is the greatest art ever. Of course, that's a very subjective statement. You can't go to court and say, this is dog crap. (laughs) This is hideous. And what is also subjective about the pricing of art is everything. If, well, I mean, what do you mean by this? Okay, I'll explain. If Hunter Biden had set up a used car dealership, Biden's buses, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, Hunter's hatchbacks, whatever it would be. He sets up a car dealership, used car dealership, and was selling cars that sell for 20000 selling them for 200000 I'll tell you what, even this corrupt Department of Justice and FBI would be showing up asking questions. So you can't do that. You have to go to somewhere. If you're going to funnel money around, if you're going to figure out ways to get some pay-to-play money, 
what you're gonna do is you're gonna you're gonna this is this is foolproof. This is brilliant. Whoever gave him this idea certainly didn't come from his drug-addled mind, but whoever gave him this idea, this is this is fabulous stuff. I have a painting behind me. Some of you have seen it, some of these social videos that we produce. Here is part of the What's Right Show. You can go to our What's Right Show Instagram and even our Twitter, at What's Right Show. And you'll see I have a painting behind me of a dear friend of mine, Lou Carrion, did. And um, it's a, he's a, he's a new and up-and-coming artist. And I'll tell you, he, you know, he commands somewhere, I'll, t- I'll be just honest with you, he's been at it for a while. He has a tremendous promotions team. He is very widely respected and reviewed. He's had art shows all around the world, including he'll have one uh, later this week in in Mexico City. It's Art Week in Mexico City. Side note, if you're interested, very fun week to be in Mexico City. At any rate, Hunter, uh, yeah, this is my friend. I mean, he commands like like twenty to fifty thousand a piece, and Hollywood types buy his stuff. I mean, he has a following. By the way. I got to have him here on the show at some point because Lou, Louis Carrion, is, um, uh, you know, a conservative artist. That's right. He thinks like we do, folks. It was eye-opening. I met him at an art show, and we hit it off. But it, I, And I have one of his paintings. I'm very grateful for that. Uh, but but I, I the idea that suddenly a guy cracks onto the scene and is uh, – that is, by the way, a pun intended – uh, makes his way on the scene and um, and suddenly is commanding two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars per piece is is ludicrous. It doesn't happen. It does not happen. Not this quickly. So uh, the, I again I have to I have to I have to make, make make this clear. As you hear these stories about Biden's artworks, as you hear this, you you have to think in your back of your hands. Okay, so what? How does this link into everything? And it and it all of this came about in advance of these House Republicans probing the finances because the House Oversight and Accountability Committee is already asking now who bought the art and how much they paid for it. The chairman of the House Oversight Accountability Committee, who is investigating these uh, Biden, well, these suspicious Biden financial transactions, called the figures exorbitant for a novice artist and questioned whether it amounted to influence peddling over federal federal policy. Now, it doesn't, again, it doesn't take a genius to figure out how this would work. I want to get in the good graces of the Bidens in, in an effort to maybe get some perks from the administration. So what do I do? I make my way over. Who is this gallery called? I had it here uh, in my, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, this is a, uh, I don't have the name. It's a French name. But the guy, the guy is a noted gallerist, but they would go to the gallerist. The gallerist would say, ah, oh, here's his name, Georges Burges, New York gallery owner. He's a ranger. So you go there and you say, yeah, I'd love to buy a Hunter Biden piece. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay 200 grand for this. I'd like to meet Hunter. I'd really like to meet the artist. And so what you do then is you meet the artist. You write him a big check. The gallery gets its cut. And next thing you know, you're in the good graces of the president's son. It does, it does not require a logical leap. No. And that's why the Republicans are looking at it, and that's why this is going to be huge. So, uh, artist or con artist? <laughs> you be the judge. All right, when we come back, Musk, that's right, Elon the Great, has won his second case on his tweets. 
big deal. This is a big deal. I'll explain this again, put on my lawyer hat, give you a little background on this. Uh, but I think it's a it's it's really a, an interesting development. So I'll get into that when we come back. Don't go anywhere, friends. Be back in just a moment. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit SamAndAshLaw.com. Greetings, friends, and welcome back to the program. Happy to be here with you. Uh, Second hour bottom of the half of the second hour. Time flies. Boy, I thought when we had two hours, we would have all this time to go over everything we needed to get to, and that is proving to be a fallacy. There is just endless, endless material here and still limited time. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Your host, tis I, Sam Rajofsky, Nevada's favorite recovering ex-Californian, common-sense conservatism, an all-around good guy, uh, grateful to be with you. Uh, one thing that I I thought I would mention, since some of you maybe have not listened to this show before, I would take a moment to explain where I'm coming from in all this. I think a very reasonable question, and many of you have asked me this, is why would a successful attorney take time out of his day to get behind a microphone and talk politics, particularly at a time when having opinions that perhaps at times might be controversial, it's not the best thing for somebody, professionally speaking. And first off, I'll, I'll answer that part of the question is, I think, I think we are in consequential times. I think we find ourselves at a crossroads in our country, uh, reclaiming uh, some, I don't know, some fight for a future here where our, our kids are, are protected as they grew up in this world from real political lunacy. And it's a time when people who have the ability to speak up need to. And so I feel, uh, friends, a strong sense of duty that is outside of my own immediate uh, needs my own immediate uh, security and safety and, and, um, and, and, and comfort to be on the record uh, as loudly as I possibly can, as publicly as I possibly can on the, on the, on the side of, of reason, of right and wrong. You know, when, for example, I speak out against some of this real radical gender ideology and you know, efforts to sexualize our kids, uh, you know, gay or straight or whatever, uh, I have gotten unbelievable blowback from folks. And then even, you know, uh, even I'll say this, uh, I'll, I'll get, I am surprised though, that I will have Democrats who I don't agree with on a lot come out of the woodwork and quietly tell me off the record that they agree with me. That, you know, for example, the idea of three-year-olds at sexually suggestive drag shows is not ideal, (laughs) to say the least. So, you know, these are the things that we have to speak out against. And, uh, And there's more to it, obviously, than just the gender stuff. 
Now, why do I believe what I believe? Where am I coming from in all this? You know, those of you who have heard this are going to get a refresh. But, you know, my, my, you know, my, I, I was born in this country, 1980, uh, to immigrants from Eastern Europe. My parents fled communist Czechoslovakia in 1968, they went through Western Europe and eventually landed in the United States uh, because really, uh, you know, this was to them the absolute land of, uh, of opportunity. Both my parents grew up in uh, Stalinist Eastern Europe. They grew up in, a, in an environment that was, uh, well, let's just say hostile to individualism, to freedom, to enterprise, to religion, to everything that we hold dear uh, was, was probably the most inhospitable environment you can imagine. And my parents were very fortunate that um, not that they were able to, not too late in life, start over in the United States. And as a consequence, I was raised with an enormous love and appreciation for this country that I cannot adequately express in words how deep it runs. And at the same time, I know what the I know what the elements are that make this country great. I understand that it is precisely individualism, industry, hard work, equality, not equity, opportunity, right? That make uh, makes America what it is. This is a place where someone can come and start at the very bottom and work their way up. That is the opportunity that you get. You're not guaranteed that outcome. There are countries around the world that guarantee outcome. And as a consequence, no one really can, 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 can get, get ahead unless they've got connections and are, you know, are somehow connected into the tribe used loosely of folks that are in power. Now, I say this because I think that uh, these components of what have made America incredible and made America rise to be the uh, leader among nations in opportunity, in upward mobility, these uh, components that make up uh, our American exceptionalism, our meritocracy, these are all under, under, under fire, under threat. They are actively being targeted by the left, which has very smartly identified this as a means by which they grab power. But they don't care about this country. They don't care about, in fact, they don't even care about the people that they proffer, claim to want to represent, to help, to assist, to aid. No, they care about their own power, their own financial gains. Their motives are impure. Uh, they look to find ways to, well, I mean, listen, let me put it, I always say this, right? If you, if you took all the people that are, all the, you know, all, all the race mongers, right? The people on the BLM folks, the equity folks, the, uh, right, the, <laughs> right, the reparations people, you know, when you say, well, what's your, what's your intended purpose? What's your intended uh, outcome here? What is, your, what is your goal? And they will say maybe some variation at a high level of, a, you know, of eliminating racism. But everything that they do 
everything, every, every bit of, of, of effort that they put into their work only is there to divide, only is there to separate. Because these people, they do what the communists did in my parents' homeland when they were growing up. They want to divide people up. They want to have a, um, as many people be afraid of each other, of offending the, uh, the norm, the, the expected party line. To step out is to, is to basically uh, might as well eliminate yourself from, from, from society and certainly from a means of earning an income, supporting yourself, of having opportunities for your kids to attend college, etc. And we have the new left in this country now doing exactly the same thing. Well, whether we call it cancel culture or, or whatnot, I mean, it, it's, that's, that's the thing. They don't want dissent. They know that their ideas fail in the open marketplace of ideas. Uh, but at the same time, they are, they are perfectly willing to have the problems that they, that they intend to want to solve. Uh, for example, again, I've mentioned race, homelessness, that's another one, right? They actually solve homelessness. Well, then, then their whole reason for being homeless advocates goes away. And then what? Well, shoot, I'm at a job. No more grant money. That doesn't work. So they just make the problems worse. I give you as a prime exhibit, San Francisco and Los Angeles. So bringing it now to the here and now, I know I'm, I'm going to get to Elon, don't worry, I'm gonna get there, but bring it to the here and now, you know, my, my fear of course uh, is that we need to reclaim the country and, and, and importantly for us locally here in Las Vegas, Nevada, and in Nevada uh, proper, we, we have to make sure that, that we don't allow these this, this thinking to, to get into and infect our state. Because it's, you know, it's, it's a precarious place to be in, let me tell you. And I remember well, uh, as a young man, no, boy, 10 years old, traveling by train 30 days after the collapse of the Eastern Bloc, my parents' country was liberated from the communists and being there, like I said, about 30 days after the revolution, seeing for myself firsthand the devastation that the left-wing, leftist, communist ideology brought to a once successful and thriving country, then only to return to the U.S. and hear some of those propaganda ideology, buzzwords, and phrases being bantered about in my classrooms, both in my high school and college, and realizing that the American left is lost, and has been, by the way, ever since. They're just getting smarter, and by the way, they're repackaging all this old stuff, rebranding it, retreading it, and putting it back into circulation. Very dangerous stuff. So why do I do what I do? Simply put, uh, it has to be stopped. And a voice of reason and of perspective that I have that I think I bring uniquely to this is something that I, I, I as a gift and that I, I need to share. And uh, that's not meant to be uh, arrogant in any way, shape, or form. It's just it's, it's a duty that I feel. And so it's with great pleasure and joy that I, that I do this, this program and take time off from my, my workday to spend it with you. So speaking of successful Amer well immigrants to America, Elon Musk, had a little victory in court. I'll describe that to you when we come back. Don't go anywhere. The What's Right Show here on News Talk 840 continues after this.
Well, friends, happy to be here with you. Sam Rajofsky, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian, voice of reason, and all-around nice guy. Here on Newstalk 840 KXNT, the What's Right show continues. Uh, Elon Musk uh, won another case on Friday. A federal jury ruled in his favor. This is uh, a case involving securities fraud. Uh, The investors, the plaintiffs that brought the suit, uh, felt misled uh, that they lost money after uh, Elon tweeted in 2018. He said he had funding secured to take Tesla private. Shares rose on the news and fell days later. And basically, by the way, this is fascinating because if you recall, uh, Musk won a case back in 2019. Uh, that where he was sued by that British explorer. You know, the kids were stuck in the cave and he called him a pedophile. It should be noted without proof. Uh, but the two men had exchanged insults uh, over Musk's involvement in effort to res- uh, rescue these uh, kids from the uh, Thai cave. So uh, both these cases, Musk uses a lawyer named Alex Spiro. And the, the crux of this defense uh, is that you know, Musk shouldn't be taken too seriously on Twitter. And that uh, one of the things that Musk testified to is, look, there's like 200-some characters in a tweet. You can't get into detail. It's verbal jousting. It goes back and forth. Um, you know, but, it, you know, the jury clearly came back, and, and I would say if it was a 12, it doesn't say here if it was a 12-person jury. To, on a civil case, you just got to win over nine people. You don't need a unanimous jury. And I will. I want to note. There's a. There's a couple of things that is not. It's not being detailed necessarily as a big deal. But I want to point something out. This jury, this case, was filed in San Francisco. Now, hear me out on this. I think it's pretty big news that a San Francisco jury exonerated Musk. I, why? Oh, well, well simple. I, I think it's because Musk is, if, if I were a betting man, I would, I was thinking of where is Musk unpopular right now? It would be on the coasts. And there's nothing more coast than left coast than, uh, than, than downtown San Francisco. I mean, you're getting people in there who are, who are uh, very, very left wing. So I would say two things about this. One, and I say this as a lawyer, the real magic that Musk's lawyer did is in picking a jury. That is the, uh, the, the million-dollar takeaway from this. All right, the fact that Spiro went in now twice, right, because the other case, by the way, that Musk won was in L.A. <laughs> you know, again, not a... This with that LA case was in 2019. Musk was a little more popular with the uh, with the liberals back then. Nonetheless, as a general rule, left wing juries do not like rich people. And Musk, uh, I remember in that LA case, gosh, this was a funny part of the case. So I was following it. You know, for me, I'm I'm obviously it was current event and it was important. And Musk is a is a newsmaker, so I was following it on that basis. But I also was following it as a lawyer. One of the things that was fascinating is that they had they, the, 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 the guy that was accused of being a pedophile by Musk 
you know, wanted, wanted, I wanted millions and millions and millions of dollars of damages, and it was a basically a, 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 a round defamation claim, a, a, a defamation tort. And one of the things that they did is they, he, the, Spiro, who was uh, Musk's lawyer, asked Musk on the stand when he testified, he asked him how much cash he had on hand. And one thing that surprised me about this, one, it surprised me to bring that up uh, because it was an effort, right, to signal to that jury that even though this guy has is a quote-unquote billionaire, he doesn't have oodles of, of loose coins just sitting around. And that's actually was true. I think the number was about fifty thousand, is what he was his cash on hand. That he, you know, he his all his wealth is all in stocks and in, in assets, but his liquidity, his immediate liquidity, is 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 fairly minimal. Now I might not remember that number exactly, but it was. I mean, it was not enough to buy a Hunter Biden painting. I'm going to just tell you that right now. Okay. So, so, and, and that was, I think that was really persuasive to the jury because they, they kind of listened to, they think, you think you've got this big, rich dude there sitting, you know, just waiting to be picked, plucked, right, for, um, for a nice big, nice big verdict and um, a settle, or, you know, yeah, a, a verdict in this case. And, um, and in the end, you know, I think they were persuaded, look, there's not really a lot of money to go around and this is like two guys going at it on Twitter. So two victories, for Musk over his tweets. And remember, 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 these cases are bigger than just absolving Musk of his own personal liability for something that he said. Now, what do I mean by that? This is about Musk and his Twitter, his ownership of Twitter, right? Making Twitter a place where people are not afraid to get into it and fearing that they're going to get, you know, get, get reamed in court. Every one of these unsuccessful cases to bring in action related to either fraud, misrepresentation, or defamation on Twitter uh, has a chilling effect on free exchanges on the policy. And by the way, by the way, I'm going to say, um, I'm going to say this. I, I think when you own Twitter, when you have a vested interest in people exchanging ideas, and even dare I say, be controversial on Twitter. <laughs> what do you want? You don't want any of that chilling effect in place, right? You want people to feel like they're they're okay to do all this. So this is a this is a very interesting case. Uh, came out Friday afternoon. Uh, result, um, I, if you'll recall, I believe he was testifying. Musk was testifying actually uh, in the hours. He's doing it remotely via video feed uh, to the jury in San Francisco. But in that case, he's testifying moments before he was meeting with our own Governor Lombardo up in Reno uh, on Lombardo's tour of the of the uh, Tesla factory up there, the battery plant. Yeah, I think I was the only uh, person here in Las Vegas to share how Lombardo was given a battery uh, by, the, by the foreman of the plant that uh, turned out to be a live battery he put in his pocket, and it arced on his keys and caused a small electric fire in the governor's pants. I can, I believe that story to be absolutely true. Uh, I have that confirmed by multiple sources. So I'll leave you with that uh, funny thing. Um, yeah, I look, um, <laughs> I tell you, this is going to be fun. We're going to have a great time. And I want to stress to you, as a number of you maybe now listening for the first time who did not catch us previously on this program, this program, folks, is timeless. You go back and listen. When I look at the podcasts, this is fascinating. 
when I look at our podcast statistics, when I go to our, our plays on, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and on the Odyssey app, one thing that is clear, people go back and listen to past shows and listen to the whole show. And that's because um, these, these shows, in terms of their content, they're always relevant. They always have a little nugget for you that you know, just because it passed in the moment doesn't mean it's not interesting to listen to a day, a week, or even a month later. Trust me on this. Yeah, give it a try. Go back a month, listen to one of our old shows, see what you think. But certainly follow us on, uh, what is it? In- Instagram, yeah, Twitter. <laughs> What's Right Show, that's where you find us. And obviously get the podcast, subscribe uh, on, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. All right, got to run. There's the music. Sam Marjofsky, What's Right Show. Back tomorrow. See you at one.